Welcome to Radically Personal, where we explore the behind-the-scenes stories of today's most beloved brands, how they started, and what their mission is, and how they're building enduring relationships with customers and showing them how they have their best interests at heart. I'm Joseph Ancinelli, CEO of Gladly, where we're on a mission to help companies reinvent customer service and deliver on the promise of radically personal customer experiences. On today's episode, I am joined by my good friend, Kate Showalter, the Senior Director of Customer Service at Crate & Barrel. In this episode, Kate shares how COVID-19 has impacted their business, forcing them to bring their amazing in-store experiences that they are known for and bring them online and to show how they are at the forefront of turning their contact center into a revenue center. We believe that if you focus really strongly on the top three pillars, if you really focus on the customer and the associate and the brand, that the financial strength pillar will take care of itself. We also discuss innovation and what it means to be a shopkeeper at heart. It's present every day. And especially when you're used to running a store, you want that day-to-day, you want that personal interaction with the customer, that the line of people waiting is actually literally a line of people waiting and staring at you. And, and you're looking up at their eyes and thinking, why aren't I going faster? And we talk about who inspired Kate to have the customer awareness and the appetite for innovation that she has today. He was an inspirational presence, and you don't work for a man like that and not carry some of that urgency and that customer awareness and that entrepreneurial spirit with you. And what would a COVID podcast be like without the chance to meet Duke, her half lab, half Pyrenees dog, who makes a cameo throughout the show? This is Radically Personal. Kate, welcome to Radically Personal. I am so excited to have our conversation today and talk about your story, talk about the Crate and Barrel story. You have just been such a great partner in terms of how you think about customer experience, and I'm super excited to share a whole bunch of stories with all of our listeners. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here, and I would send that right back to you that you guys have been (laughs) great partners as well. So I'm happy to have the conversation and excited to get started. Why don't we start, I mean, you obviously lead the customer service team at Crate & Barrel, but maybe just a little bit about you to start with would be great for all the listeners. Sure. So I've been with Crate a long time, over 20 years. You started when you were 12. I was. I was 12. (laughs) That's the story. I'm sticking to it. Um, (laughs) I won't correct that. But I've had a lot of careers in my time here. So I like to say I'm a shopkeeper at heart. I started in the stores and with the store teams, ended up in store leadership and regional leadership. And then I ran a whole bunch of large-scale projects for the organization where we restructured org structures and processes and business process design and I ended up leading a lot of those and ultimately was asked to go and start our international franchising group. So I ran international operations for a while, got to open stores in 10 different countries. It was really amazing. Built some websites there, which was fun. And then about three or four years ago, they asked me to form what's called a PMO, a program management office, to do all the large-scale strategic initiatives for the organization. Just over two years ago, they asked if I would also take on customer service. So it's an interesting mix. Not a lot of places have 
the same person run customer service as run the PMO, but it works for us. And it's especially great because a large number of our strategic initiatives focus on customer experience. We're very customer centric. So it is nice to have the direct day-to-day influence of what the customer is asking us for and turn that around and drive strategic change within the organization. That's great. You started by calling yourself a shopkeeper at heart. Yeah. You know, I just love that concept of thinking about the shopkeeper. Like one of the stories of, I used to always tell when we first started the company was this idea that we wanted to help large companies deliver on that local shopkeeper Mm -hmm. experience. You know, when you walk in, they know who you are, you know, whether it's like your local coffee shop or whatever. And they're like, hey, Joseph, welcome back. Do you want your you know, latte with almond milk or whatever. I actually just drink regular coffee. I don't drink any of those fancy You drinks, don't drink fancy no, coffee? No, no, I just, just regular coffee and some milk. I'm a pretty simple guy. But anyway, so getting back to the story of a shopkeeper, what about that thought process of a shopkeeper informs your thinking around customer support and running a customer experience team? Well, it's present every day and it's, Especially when you're used to running a store, you want that day-to-day, you want that personal interaction with the customer, that the line of people waiting is actually literally a line of people waiting right. and staring at you. And and you're looking up at their eyes and thinking, why aren't I going faster? Like, how do I get to that to that person in line that obviously is getting more and more frustrated with me? Or you get to hear the feedback firsthand. I once had a woman, we helped her pick out lasagna dishes for a a dinner party she was having. And the next day she brought me a lasagna in the pan. Wow. Oh, that's such a great story. That's, that's gratitude. Yeah. That I got to share with everybody in the stock room that day. So all because we had had this amazing conversation about our dinner party and because, you know, she had felt like we had realized a successful event for her. And I think that carries over that it's about the people and the connection and the interaction, you're using technology and tools and metrics to measure that. But those things aren't what they're, it's about. What it's about is that interaction. And you're there to, to drive sales and you drive sales by building experiences. And that carries through into customer service and into what we're trying to do day in and day out. So, you know, this thing about what matters is also a really important topic. Right. Like most contact centers, I shouldn't say most, many. (laughs) And that was one of the things when we started the company was we had these conversations and people were like, look, it's all about handle time and operating efficiency. And those things matter. I'm not saying they don't. Right. And, And I'm really proud that we help people be more efficient. But how are you going through this change around moving from thinking about the support team as a cost center to a revenue center? Like, what do you measure? How do you explain that to people? How do you talk to the execs in the company about it? Yeah. It's hard because you have a budget that you have to, that <laughs> right. you have to reach, right? <laughs> there is a bottom line and you have to think about that bottom line and you have to think about how you get there. And for us, it's about hierarchical pillars and what we focus on. So we're focused on customer experience first. Therefore, the metrics around quality of exchange and quality of interaction and degree of customer satisfaction become then your most important metric. And the other metrics around efficiency are measured by how efficient you are in the view of the customer. The customer determines your quality. What the customer wants from you and the customer expectations really set that definition of success for you. So second to the customer experience is the associate experience 
and the brand experience. And then finally, financial strength is kind of the fourth pillar of our hierarchy there. And we believe that if you focus really strongly on the top three pillars, if you really focus on the customer and the associate and the brand, that the financial strength pillar will take care of itself. Yeah, the book, you know, the score will take care of itself. Like if you do all the right stuff, like, you know, the results you want will come at the end. Yeah. We feel like if you measure and put forward the right metrics, the rest will will fall into place. Yeah. Whose dog is Oh, my God. My dog is driving me crazy. (laughs) This is COVID podcasting, you know? We had a kid come in on one. It's all good. It's great. Yeah, like no one's home to yell at that dog that's downstairs driving me crazy. (laughs) Just wants a little attention. You told this, there's like the metrics. And I always think about things in like right brain and left brain. I can't remember which was which. I just know they're both really important. I, yeah, I was just thinking, like, I don't, I don't think I know either, but they are both important. Balance, so, yes. Yeah, so there's, like, the, the numbers and the quantitative side, and then there's, like, the emotional side. You told this story once, I don't know if you remember, which was about one of your associates on your team who had, like, started a chat conversation and then moved to a call with mm-hmm. a customer, and they were on for, like, half an hour. Oh, yeah. And they were stressed that they were going to get in trouble by it. You know, because like they were thinking, oh my God, I got to do this in seven minutes and 17 seconds. Otherwise I'm in trouble. How do you go through that cultural shift? And what was that story like? And how did you? Yeah, 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 it's a great story. And it it actually comes right after some of the COVID changes where people were shopping differently and they couldn't go to the stores as much. And we had an associate who started on chat and the chat was kind of getting long and extreme. And she said to the customer, you know, can I just call you? And the customer's like, oh, you can call me? Yeah, call me. So, <laughs> Isn't um, that amazing? <laughs> yeah. So um, she called her and they literally sat, I think it was 28 minutes once the phone mm-hmm. call started after the chat was complete. While this woman shopped online, she was having a glass of wine on her sofa. <laughs> they were looking at different wine glasses. They were looking at different sofas. Then they changed categories altogether and looked at bedding. It was like she was shopping with a friend. She did end up making a purchase of wine glasses, but the associate was chatting her supervisor like, is this okay? Like, I've been on the phone for, like, can I keep talking? Like, and the supervisor was like, oh my God, yes, tell me. Like, this is amazing. Tell me more. And in my tenure as the leader of CS, we've never measured handle time. I don't believe in measuring handle time. I think we measure it for budgetary purposes to understand how to staff and forecast for staffing and things like that, what our averages are so that we know them. But we don't call handle time out to our associates because we don't want them to feel like I have to hurry and get to the next customer. If this customer needs me, this is what they need me to do. That's what I'm going to do with them. But I think what was so interesting there is that that transaction gave us the idea as sales as service that in helping her choose wine glasses and shopping, you are actually serving her needs. And when we pivoted there as a direction for our associates to learn to sell, you are listening to the customer and responding and anticipating their needs in the same way you do in a service mindset, that sales became more natural. Right. Although we're now measuring it, we haven't started to measure associate sales performance in a way that they can see. We talk about it. We talk about how much did you make and what was that sale right. and what did you get? But we're not yet metricing it that way because we don't want that to feel like a burden of the conversation. We right. still want that conversation to be around what the customer is asking us for and that kind of service mindset. 
So there's like the individual stories like that, which are obviously learning, training opportunities. How do you think about, especially post-COVID, as you hire lots of new people, how do you create the right culture at Crate and Barrel? And how do you do that training? And how do you reinforce it? I'm sure it's been particularly challenging last year. I mean, you guys went through like crazy growth and lots of new people. And like, you probably have not met most anyone who's joined in the last 12 months, right? You know, <laughs> how are you doing that? How are you doing? How do you think about training and onboarding and creating culture? Yeah, it's, it is particularly challenging. And it, it has been a bit of a brain teaser this year as not only are we thinking about onboarding, we onboarded 600 new people in four months last year. Are they all over the place, by the way, now? Completely all over the place. So we planned hubs, support hubs in Vegas and North Carolina because we have a manufacturing team in North Carolina Mm -hmm. as a center there. But we planned those hubs, but then we added a little group in Texas. And then we decided we would use the store population to help support us in the really hard times of COVID. And then the store population really liked working for us. So they wanted to stay <laughs> permanent. So now we have more than 30% of our associates are outside of our home base in Chicago. And that number literally grows every day. So it's amazing. It changes your whole frame. Your onboarding has to change. How you onboard an associate, how you get to know an associate has to change. How your supervisor engages with an associate has to change. So we really started the culture shift with the supervisor. And there were supervisors who embraced this and were really good at it. And there were supervisors who couldn't get their head around not seeing their team and not being able to walk over and stand next to them. So we had to create virtual ways for them to walk over and stand next to them so that they could have that feeling and see that engagement. So we completely changed the supervisor role in the last six months. And we said, your only job is to own your team their performance, their engagement, their attrition, just their growth in general. So how your team performs, that is your job. That is your end-to-end total job, period. So that's what they do. They have G-chats. Somebody, one of the managers is doing March Madness, and every week is a different growth metric. And this week is (laughs) adherence and how we get better at adherence. I think next week is concurrency. So, and they like the supervisor that wins the bracket moves on to the next bracket. So (laughs) they're, um, (laughs) yeah, they're getting really creative with it. We also didn't want to get away from product because we do have this mindset of being a profit center versus a cost center. And we're focused on revenue generation. We didn't want to get away from feeling close to the product. So When we were in our contact center, I could have a showroom and I could change it seasonally and you could go sit on our sofa and you could eat off of our dishes and use our flatware and use our coffee maker. But you can't do that when you're at home. So we created a contest. It's not even a contest because it rolls forever. It's a culture shift, really. It's a focus so that those that get the top five star ratings for the month get the option of a crate branded gift card to use in any crate cb2 hudson grace any of our stores on the condition that they use it to buy a product that they then make a product video to share with the whole center to teach them why they love it how they used it what was great about it so we've built up this archive of videos from all our associates and they get really creative with the filming (laughs) we've got like stop motion fanciness (laughs) happening. Um, So it's super fun, but it it all comes back to that product and using the product and making sure that it's the product is really accessible to our teams. 
Yeah, you know, like most teams have like like that dedicated product training team. You yeah. know, and here that's such a creative idea, which is like, how do you get your team to create the content? You know, this idea of user generated content. We see it all the time in yeah. the consumer it's associate world. generated content. Yeah, that's a great idea, actually. <laughs> and then they get to share and it yeah. actually scales and 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 they also get the product. We've started sending it to our marketing team. I'm like, I don't know if you want to use these, but I've got I've got some UCG for you. <laughs> that's awesome. Or UGC. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. You know, just continuing on the on the revenue generation front, you have gone through this transformation around messaging. Mm-hmm. That there's two things in particular that you shared with me. One is the volume, yeah, and the mix, and then the second is actually how messaging is driving revenue. I'd love to touch on both of those topics, which was, um, you know, when we first met. Now it was a couple of years ago, which is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> where did where did all that time go? I don't know exactly what your numbers were, but it was primarily you did a lot of voice, you mm-hmm. did some email, and you did some chat. Yep. How has that changed over the last 12 months? So overall, over the last 12 months, our contact volume is up about 260%. But who's counting? But who's counting? (laughs) So to put that in context, an average week contact volume would have been 34,000 contacts. Last week, we were at 124,000. So it is, and this is the quiet time, right? Because here we are in March. We're in March, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So this is off peak for us. So, But what was super interesting about that is we launched text as a test initially prior to holiday of 2019, but we launched it for real, which as a test, we were getting like 35 texts, you know, a week. But then when we launched it in April, I think, Uh It skyrocketed. So SMS has officially replaced voice as our number one channel. It is the preferred channel of our customer. We try to move them out of voice. So Gladly has a live board where you can watch everything. So Uh my team gets really upset because I obsessively watch the live board. Like I sit and watch it. And then I G-chat like everyone in the universe when I see something. that. So when you go on the live board, you can click into agents and you can read. Uh-huh. texts and chats all real time. And and I do that, again, obsessively. And I was reading one the other day, and there was a person in a text, and she's like, you know what, it'd be way easier. Let me call you. And the woman's like, no, I only want to text. I'm busy. I'm out. I only want to oh text. Oh, my God, really? So, like, wow. you can't even get them to call. And I, I always laugh because I used to say I was one of those holdouts. Like, people aren't going to buy a sofa online. You're not going to buy a sofa you haven't sat in. They'll buy them over text. They'll buy them anyway. Like, it doesn't phase them at all. So they just text is easy. It's easy and it's friendly. And we have yeah. to get good at it. It's huge. Yeah, I think that um, SMS is like the underrepresented channel, I'll call it. Because it doesn't really have an owner. You know, like social messaging is important and all the other messaging platforms. But there's like there's like a brand behind it that owns it. And so there's so much conversation about that. But SMS really is, it's like the lingua franca. I mean, everybody has it now. And it is way easier. It's something that can be asynchronous, yet people are really good at it. And your adoption story, it's just off the charts. It's been amazing to see, actually. Well, and it does take practice. I mean, it takes practice to do it personably. Like, to transfer the whole persona into a text takes practice and takes learning. Um, So there was a curve there, but... Once we got it, we allow our, our associates to be much more casual over text, which is more comfortable right. for everyone. And um, once we got it, now it's how we work. 
we work That's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The dirty little secret is obviously how bad email is as a channel. Like, because right. it's just, it's not very efficient. People no. feel like they have to write these really formal missives, you know, like you have to make it punctuated perfectly. And right. we're in text. It's like, oops, I made a typo. You yeah. know, <laughs> you know, just like everyone's okay yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah. Like we literally have people text back, cool. Like, right. Oh, yeah. It is cool. That's cool. Like, that's fine. It's all good. Um, but that's really one of, and I, I know I'm, I don't have to tell you why I love it, but the, that's one of the benefits is that you can start in one and move to another. Right. And if one is working for the kind of transaction you're having, then you stay in it. And if it's not working, you move, you know, like you can shift. If it starts in an email, but the phone number is there, you can text them back. It works out. Right. And that's also, you also were one of the early adopters of voicemail. I was actually on a call well, yesterday with a customer. <laughs> yes, because you made me. But yes, yeah. <laughs> when you say we made you, yeah, I mean. Yeah. That sounds like, okay, you were so forward thinking. Yeah. Uh-huh, no, you true. were. You were. You were. You really were. I. You don't have to tell the other part of the story. <laughs> no, I will totally happily say that I joined voicemail kicking and screaming. We had auto callback as a function. And we didn't know how else to handle the volume. And as right. we were considering Gladly and we were choosing Gladly, auto callback was not part of the offering. And I said, I, I can't right. do it. And, and I believe you, through many <laughs> partners on your team, told me that I, I should try it before I say no. So uh, we did. We launched with voicemail. And I, I don't think I even asked for auto callback after that. So no, you hugely <laughs> successful. So from our launch time, so we went live with voice in July of last year you know, not much going on because of voicemail and because the other feature that we are in love with is the fact that you can go to SMS. So you could push one to send a text instead of holding from the IVR, from the IVR, which is amazing. So between the push one for SMS and the IVR and the voicemail option between those two, we went from over an hour wait at our worst in the summer to immediately 25 minutes, then within weeks down to 10 minutes because of those functions. So so you didn't add more staff or anything? Nothing, just, nothing changed other than that. So you are an innovator. Well, no, I just listened to you. <laughs> I had no, no other choice. <laughs> I had no other choice. I innovated out of necessity. Green Barrel has this mantra that I love, which is that it's okay to fail as long as you fail fast. Let's talk about how that mentality has helped you become a leader in customer experience innovation today. I think it's a couple of things. I think one, it's permission from my larger culture and organization to fail. Mm-hmm. You know, that as long as you fail fast, right? Fail fast and learn. And it helps I run a PMO. So I know how to iterate, right? I know how to explore and change quickly. And I think it's really acknowledging that nothing has to be permanent. Like when we put something into place, we can change it. Mm -hmm. That's how you learn. That's how you grow. That's how you adopt and adapt. So we're not afraid to experiment. And when you listen really hard and aren't afraid of a little bit of failure, you can be open to trying new things. It's interesting because like I said, I've only run the contact center for about two and a half years now. During that time, you know, we had to shift the internal culture to that as well, because it was an organization that was a little stuck. 
like it was a little stuck in its metrics and it's, it was a little stuck in this is how mm-hmm. this is how we've always done it. So this must be how you do it. So we did have to break some of that mold, even at the leadership level and say, no, it's not just how you do it. Like we don't have to live with just right. because. So it gave us the opportunity to explore and try new things. And then you get a few wins, like you see the IVR with the push one for a text actually pull down wait times and the whole team can breathe a little. And they think, oh, what else can we try? It opens <laughs> it opens, breeds, the, breeds yeah, it opens culture, them yeah. up to like, oh, well, that thing worked. So what else could work? So you also have to listen to the feedback of the people. Because if you make changes, one of the big changes we had is that we – when I did a big engagement survey when I first started in CS and I, I hired consultants and I said, you know, tell me what I don't know. I want to learn what what's your biggest right. pain points? What does everybody hate? The number one most complained about thing was we have so many systems and I don't know where to go to find anything and I can't use anything. And it's it's hard as an associate. You're making it hard for me. So when you're iterating and trying new things exactly aligned to what the people have been asking you for, what the customer has been asking you for, you can get investment in why you're doing it. So they don't feel like it's just a new tool for a new tool stake. You can say this exact feedback is why I'm doing this. What do you think? And that's a huge compelling tool as well. Comes back to selling. Yeah. It all does. You just got to sell it to your people. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Obviously going with gladly was, you know, a big decision. Mm-hmm. You told me this once, so if you don't mind sharing, like what was that first experience when you first connected with us? And then like, what was the process of why you went with us? And Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I, I wasn't shopping mm-hmm. for a new tool at the time. In all candor. I did not know that, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't shopping. I wasn't actually actively on the market, so Uh to speak. And I was at a conference, a customer service conference, and I was walking by, actually with one of the consultants I had hired, and I was walking Uh by all the tables, and I saw the screen with a use case of Gladly up, right? So it was showing how I could see email, and then I could see chat, you know, and Mike was demoing it to the group there. And I was like, wait, wait a second. That's all in one tool. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, wait, so you just shifted from text to voice and I can see both and I can play back that recording. He was like, yeah. And I was like, that's what my team in this engagement survey that I had literally just done, I said, that's what my team is asking me for. That's what they want. Like that's the usability that they want. We have all these silos and all these tools and you head over to chat and then you're only in chat. And if somebody right. sent an email, then the email team sees it. The chat team didn't see it. So they don't know you sent an email. So we don't seem connected. We don't seem mm-hmm. to know what our customers are asking us for. So I laughed and I was like, this is amazing. And, you know, Mike and I had some drinks and it was, it was a great <laughs> relationship from there. And, the you know, it really speaks to usability UI was amazing. The associate experience is amazing. It feels familiar. And when you see it, you almost like, I didn't believe at that moment in the conference, I didn't believe that <laughs> that was like a tool. I'm like, that's like Facebook. Like, what are you, t- <laughs> what are you talking about? So um, it was just fascinating to see up on a screen. Yeah. I didn't know that part of the story. Mm-hmm. It is amazing when, when we show it to people, they're like, wait, this is how it should be. And I think that having this mindset in service to just to your comments earlier, just just because we've done something a certain way 
for literally decades in service where we think about tickets and cases and we silo all the things and it's all about workflow and this idea that it's about people and a single conversation between your customer and crate, like right. that's the way it should be because that's how customers think about it. Right. It's always great to hear when you have when people have that reaction that you had. Right. So that's awesome. Well, and that's that's what it means to be a shopkeeper. It's about mm-hmm. what the customer is asking for you for, and that mm-hmm. that exchange is what's so 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 important. Two thousand twenty was such a horrific year. I mean, so many people on so many fronts were challenged. I mean, jobs were lost, schools were closed, and most sadly. So many people lost their lives due to COVID. Let's talk about how Crate and Barrel pivoted and adapted during this challenging time. It was extremely challenging and and for our store teams. And while we were blessed in CS that we got busier, right? It's not without acknowledgement of all the challenges elsewhere and that even the challenges that the busyness brought. But the what I can't help but think as I look back on it is that last year was an amplification of the direction that the customer was already going. We just got there faster than we ever could have imagined, right? So the need for curbside, the direction to do more virtual, what we call virtual exchange, but like where we actually shop virtually, where you Mm -hmm. go to the store virtually, where you design your bedroom virtually, all of that was already in progress. It just accelerated. It just amplified to an unbelievable state that we you wouldn't have thought it took all the all the risk aversion completely away right you just had to figure it out and do it so things like curbside pickup in home design services over your iPhone all that was already on our roadmap we just had to figure out how to do it bigger and faster so the learning there is that when you take away what you have deemed impossible you realize what you can really do. Hmm. So we would have said, if you had asked me if I could have gone to 100% work at home in a day, I would have laughed <laughs> at you. But we did. It, it actually took us 48 hours, but that's because we had to hand people some computer equipment and they had to drive it home. But mm-hmm. you know, if you had told me we could stand up curbside pickup on our website in a day, if you told me, like, I would have giggled, right? Like, oh, sure you can, but you can. Right. It's a shared goal. It's everybody working together. It's everybody focused on the customer, focused on what you need to do for that customer, focused on the associate, the tools you need to give the associate, and then you turn it around. So mm-hmm. curbside pickup is a big one, buy online, pick up in store, and then curbside is a big one. Our design services team who does in-home design for you actually uses Gladly Chat now so you can chat them. We have design appointments where you can virtually walk through their home via Zoom. We do all kinds of cool things that we never would have thought that you could do before. The virtual onboarding you know, we shortened our training by a week. We did it all at home. Mm-hmm. We had to change how you, the activities and how you onboard an associate differently. We looked at the onboarding experience and we were training email. And even after the launch of Gladly, we were training email and chat and SMS separately as three separate units. And we said, forget this. We teach messaging. We turn them all on. Like, yeah, that's So great. we rewrote onboarding. We, we call it messaging now. We don't talk about those as silos. We talk about messaging. Mm-hmm. You just have to be willing to change some of your vocabulary <laughs> and look at things in a whole new way. It just, it brought, I'm actually, as hard as it was and as challenging as it was, you do have to look at something that's that hard and at least be grateful for the benefits that come out of it. 
And in our case, the benefit was really adaptability and huge growth and learning that we are grateful for. You know, that expression, you know, necessity is the mother of all invention. Yeah. It is a focusing thing where it's just like, we, we just got to do it. Like we got to figure out how we're going to work from home in the next two days. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and it just got, is what it is. Yeah. We, don't have, we don't have a choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, those kinds of transitions are, are obviously can feel very gut wrenching in the moment, but it is amazing mm-hmm. the long lasting impact and that, like your side of the story. Then there's obviously all the data from last year, just about the consumer shift Oh, where yeah. it's like, you know, e-commerce as a percentage of total retail sales I don't know exactly what the numbers are, but it's something like 10 years of growth in six months. Yeah. Like we were, you know, chugging along. <laughs> I said we were super fortunate. We we started at, at about 50% of e-com to retail ratio. And that's obviously has gone all the way up well mm-hmm. past 70% at some points in the peak. Yeah. It is leveling back out. But thank goodness we had that 50% bar, but it changes the way customers shop. Like even the retail purchase starts online. You know, like you don't go to a store if you haven't looked online first, because why would you make that trip? So it's a totally different customer way of thinking. Like many brands today, Crate & Barrel has undergone a huge shift where their online e-commerce experience is now their flagship store. You know retail better than I do, obviously. You know, there's this idea of that your flagship store, you know, that your flagship store is like, you know, the one on pick whatever. I assume yours is in Chicago is my guess. I'm just guessing. North I don't, and Clyborne. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's beautiful. And it's like, you know, it's like the perfect retail experience. But really, digital is your flagship today. And that's a huge shift. We are, in fact, the largest store. So CS as a as a sales unit surpasses all other locations, and then ecom is the one larger than us, right? So, um, but you do think online is the way to shop? Yeah, that's amazing. That's a credible uh, shift that's happened. Do you want a dog? <laughs> What's your dog's name? Um, his name is Duke. There's two Duke. of them, oh, but the okay. the, la- the one you hear, his name uh-huh. is Duke. Yes. He's half lab and half great Pyrenees. He's a big boy and he's loud. (laughs) He just wants a little love and a little attention. Oh, God, crazy. You know, (laughs) it's all good. So, you know, the name of the podcast is Radically Personal. One of the things I ask people all the time is, can you share something a little radically personal about you that that we can publish? (laughs) You know, that you're okay sharing, if that makes sense. With, yeah. you know, thousands and thousands of people. I mean, don't get nervous or anything, but. Um. I know. I'm a, yeah. <laughs> I just told you about my dog. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, I guess even sharing earlier in the, I don't often run around telling everybody I've only run customer service for two and a half years. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So that's pretty new. That's pretty radical. I guess that probably would have been mine that, you know, I am new to this and come much more from a retail background. You're being very modest. You were saying you come from a retail background. You shared a story about your interaction with Gordon. Oh, yeah. So Gordon, yeah. Se- Gordon Siegel, was the, he was the founder of Crate & Barrel. So like I said, I've been with Crate for over 20 years and started in stores, just literally working at the front counter. And so Gordon, when I started, there were only 20-ish stores 
right? 25, mm-hmm. I think, total. No e-commerce back then. No e-commerce. Yeah, right. E-commerce was new. Frankly, furniture for us was pretty new at the time. Oh, We're right. an entertaining brand. And so we had – furniture was very separate, separate stores. The two did not mix. There was a furniture store and a house for a store. But Gordon, as the founder, I was fortunate enough to really grow up in my career underneath a huge entrepreneurial spirited presence. Like mm-hmm. – and he was a great learning experience. So he, you would get in your memo box, because that's what you got. You got a memo box <laughs> um, in your memo box. So when I was the store manager, I, it was um, my first store was in Baltimore. And when I was the store manager, my memo box would come and on your budget sheet, on your P&L, uh-huh. there would be handwritten notes from Gordon with like, circles on there like Katie watch your payroll like what are you doing or your sales are down why are your sales down or when I ran Old Orchard here in Chicago I was at corporate for a meeting and we were standing I was standing across the salad bar from him at corporate (laughs) he was he was like literally like yelling at me across the salad bar like Katie (laughs) what is with the Old Orchard sales like what's happening there you got to get those people out talking to the customers I'm like Gordon, Gordon, I'm working at it. I'm working at it. He was he was an inspirational presence. And you don't work for a man like that and not carry some of that urgency yeah. and that customer awareness and that entrepreneurial spirit with you. So that is definitely personal for sure. Yeah. Mentorship and culture and stories like that, like they just have a huge impact on on you, which yeah. is great. And we have great new leadership at the organization and Janet and Kevin and but that entrepreneurial spirit is one that has never left the culture of the company and it's carried out today, which is great. You mentioned Kevin. You know, I've had the chance to spend a lot of time with Kevin as well. To your point, I think one of the keys to what you've been able to do, mm-hmm. I have seen the support that they give to you. Oh, 100%. And I can't stress that enough. Like the customer is truly at the center of everything that we do. As an organization, Kevin Sirks, who's the COO and my direct leader, that's the first question he will ask is, well, what did the customer think? What does the customer say? What does the customer want us to do? And and that's how we decision make. That's how Janet pushes us to decision make. And therefore, it puts customer service and customer experience at a larger seat at the table overall. And it gives you the resources and the permission to really explore how we can get better and what more we can and should do overall. Kate, to you and everyone at Crate & Barrel, thanks for being such an amazing partner to Gladly and a friend, and for always being willing to try new and innovative things to improve the customer experience. I can speak for everyone at Gladly when I say we're so proud to be your partner in delivering on Crate & Barrel's impeccable customer service that customers love. I'm Joseph Ancinelli, CEO of Gladly. If you enjoyed the episode, please be sure to subscribe on Apple or Spotify, or visit us at radicallypersonal.com. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. This is Radically Personal.